And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hodnell. This is the Ken Hodnell Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. Well, today's April the 5th, 95th day of the year. 270 days remain till the year's over with. And let's see what holidays and observances we got. This is National Deep Dish Pizza Day. It's Accelerate ACL Awareness Among Young Women Day. Bell Bottom Day. The Ching Ming Festival. When you burn a candle and pay your respect to your ancestors. And it's Day of Hope. Erev Peshaw in Israel. First Contact Day. Where we celebrate all things Star Trek. Go for Broke Day. Uh, Gold Star Spouses Day. Holy Wednesday. Uh, Where you celebrate the journey of Jesus on Holy Wednesday. International Day of Conscience. If you're not a congressperson, you probably have one. National Body Care Day. National Caramel Day. National Child Health Day of Hope. National Dandelion Day. National Flash Drive Day. National Nebraska Day. National Raisin and Spicy Bar Day. National Self-Care Day. National S1 Five Star Phone Certification Day. Where you implement the best business practices and increase your company's success. National Walking Day. Passover. The Jewish, the Jewish holiday commemorates the biblical story of Exodus. Uh, Peeps Day. Queen Ming Festival. Read a Roadmap Day. If you still remember how. Alrighty. As I said, it's April the 5th. 823, Lothar I is crowned King of Italy by Pope Pascal I. 919, the second Fatimid invasion of Egypt begins when the Fatimid heir apparent, Al-Qa'im B. Amir Allah, sets out from Rakata at the head of his army. 1242, during the battle on the ice of Lake Peepus, Russian forces led by Alexander Nevsky rebuff an invasion attempt by the Teutonic Knights. That is the German version of the Knights Templar. 1536, Charles V makes a royal entry into Rome, demolishing a swath of the city to reenact a Roman triumph. 1566, 200 Dutch noblemen led by Hendrik von Brederode force themselves into the presence of Margaret of Parma and present a petition of compromise denouncing the Spanish Inquisition in the 17 provinces. Probably didn't go over too well. 1614, in Virginia, Native American Pocahontas marries English colonist John Rolfe. 1621, the Mayflower set sail from Plymouth, Massachusetts on a return trip to England. Little-known fact of history, my uh, Tilden ancestors financed the Mayflower. Never got repaid. 1792, U.S. President George Washington exercises his authority to veto a bill the first time this power is used in the U.S., 1795, the Peace of Basel between France and Prussia is made. 1818, in the Battle of Maipu, Chile's independence movement led by Bernardo O'Higgins and Jose de San Martin won a decisive victory over Spain, leaving 2,000 Spaniards and 1,000 Chilean patriots dead. 1862, American Civil War, the Battle of Yorktown begins on this date. 1879, Bolivia declares war on Chile, and Chile declares war on Peru, starting the War of the Pacific. 1902, a standbox collapses at Ebrox Park, now Ebrox Stadium, in Glasgow, Scotland, which leads to the death of 25 and injures more than 500 supporters during an international association football match between Scotland and England. 1910, the Transandine Railway connecting Chile and Argentina is inaugurated. 1922, the American Bus Control League, forerunner of Planned Parenthood, is incorporated. 1932, Dominion and Newfoundland, 10,000 rioters seized the colonial building, leading to the end of self-government. 1933, President Franklin Roosevelt signs two executive orders. 6101 establishes the Civilian Conservation Corps and 
6102 forbids the hoarding of gold, coin, gold, bullion, and gold certificates by U.S. citizens. There are those that say that executive order was to assist Lindbergh, whose baby had been kidnapped and the ransom was paid in gold certificates. 1933, Andorran Revolution. The young Andorans occupy the Casa de Laval and force the government to hold democratic elections with universal male suffrage. 1936, Tupelo-Gainesville tornado outbreak. F5 tornado kills 233 people in Tupelo, Mississippi. Been there. 1942, World War II, Adolf Hitler issues Fuhrer Directive Number 41, summarizing Case Blue, including the German Sixth Army's planned assault on Stalingrad. Also on this date in 1942, the Imperial Japanese Navy launches a carrier-based air attack on Colombo, Ceylon during the Indian Ocean raid. Port and civilian facilities are damaged, and the Royal Navy cruisers HMS Cornwall and HMS Dorsetshire are sunk southwest of the island. 1943, World War II, U.S. Army Air Force bomber. Aircraft accidentally caused more than 900 civilian deaths, including 209 children and 1,300 wounded among the civilian population of the Belgian town of Mortsel. Their target was actually the Erla factory, one kilometer from the residential area that was actually hit. 1945, Cold War, Yugoslav leader Joseph Brostito signs an agreement with the Soviet Union to allow temporary entry of Soviet troops into Yugoslav territory. 1946, nothing about the Russians are temporary. 1946, um, Soviet troops and their year-long occupation of the Danish island of Bornholm. 1946, a fleet air arm Vickers Wellington crashes into a residential area in Rabat, Malta during a training exercise, kills all four crew members and 16 civilians on the ground. You know you're having a bad day when a plane falls on you. 1949, a fire in a hospital in Effingham, Illinois, kills 77 and leads to nationwide fire code improvements in the U.S. 1951, Cold War, Ethra and Jewish Rosenberg are sentenced to death for spying for the Soviet Union. That happened on this date. 1956, the Cuban Revolution, Fidel Castro declares himself at war with Cuban President Fulgencio Batista. 1958, Ripple Rock, an underwater threat to navigation in the Seymour Narrows in Canada, destroyed one of the largest non-nuclear-controlled explosions of the time. 1966, during the Buddhist uprising, South Vietnamese Prime Minister Nguyen Cao Ki personally attempts to lead the capture of the rest of the city of Da Nang before backing down. And 1969, during the Vietnam War, there was a massive anti-war demonstration that occurred in many U.S. cities. 1971 in Sri Lanka, Jatha Vimukti Piramuna launches a revolt against the United Front government. 1976 in China, the April 5th movement leads to the Tiananmen Square incident. 1977, the Supreme Court ruled that congressional legislation that diminished the size of the Sioux People's Reservation and destroyed the tribe's jurisdictional authority over the area in Rosebud Sioux Tribe versus Nup. 1991, ASAEMB 120 crashes in Brunswick, Georgia, killed all 23 on board, including Senator John T- Excuse me, John Tower, an astronaut, Sonny Carter. 1972. Alberto Fujimori, President of Peru, dissolves Peruvian Congress by military force. Also, on the same date, I got the hiccups. Peace protesters, Suada Deberovic and Olga Suke, are killed in the Rabanja Bridge in Sarajevo, becoming the first casualty to the Bosnian War. Peace protesters don't seem to get it. When bullets are flying, nobody cares what your political party is. 1998, Japan, the Akashi Kayoko Bridge opens to traffic, becoming the longest bridge span in the world. 1999, two Libyans suspected of bringing down Pan Am Flight 103 in 1988 are handed over for eventual trial in the Netherlands. 2007, the cruise ship MSC Diamond strikes a volcanic reef near Nia Kamini and sinks the next day. Two passengers dead. 
2009, North Korea launches its controversial Kwangmyong-Gong-2 rocket. Satellite passes over mainland Japan, which prompted an immediate reaction from the United Nations Security Council, as well as participating states of six-party talks. 2010, 29 coal miners are killed in an explosion at the Upper Big Branch Mine in West Virginia. Uh, 2018, agents of the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement raid a slaughterhouse in Tennessee, detaining nearly 100 undocumented Hispanic workers in one of the largest workplace raids in the history of the U.S. And in 2021, Nguyen Quan Phuc took office as president of Vietnam after dismissing the title of prime minister. I mean, let's face it, when you're the, when you're the king but there's no crown, you become the president. All right. You know, yesterday we were talking about uh, suppressed history of giants in this country. And it's interesting to note that evidence is irrelevant when it goes against established uh, dogma, so to speak. A couple of other points I want to raise before we move ahead. You know, there's been a lot of um, talk about the indictment of former President Trump. And it turns out that the New York DA has been letting violent criminals walk so he can point his assets toward President Trump. And he plans on holding a trial during the campaign. Uh, he does, he'll do anything he can to keep the man from becoming president again. Now, did he do anything wrong? Well, they're basing everything they did on Stormy Daniels, who was wanting money out of the president, and his former attorney, who a uh, number of people testified couldn't be trusted. And uh, my experience with attorneys here how do you tell when an attorney's lying? His lips are moving. Um, in fact, I'm doing a case myself that's now going to the Court of Appeals because 14 attorneys lied like rugs to keep that gravy train from the insurance company uh, that's funding everything rolling. The fact that it's illegal, eh. They got a friend in the court. It's called the judge. All right. All that having been said, we were talking about Hernando de Soto and Chief Tuscaloosa. Um, he was a giant. Now, de Soto and 15 soldiers entered Tuscaloosa's village and were treated to a few days' worth of colorful war dances before they convinced Tuscaloosa to peacefully join them on their quest toward Mobile. It was even hard finding a horse for the giant chief to, to ride. He was so big, his feet ended up dragging on the ground. Now, while on the trail, the two of DeSoto's soldiers ended up missing, and the returning scouts uh, came back to warn DeSoto that many natives had gathered for rebellion. Well, DeSoto rode through a welcoming committee of painted warriors and dancing native maidens and flute-playing children and entered the town with his fellow soldiers, Tuscaloosa and the chief's entourage which was bigger than DeSoto's troops. The outnumbered conquistadors were now surrounded by more than 2,000 Native American warriors who were hiding behind the town's walls. Um, sensing they were in danger, DeSoto demanded his men be unharmed as Tuscaloosa just laughed in his face and disappeared into the, into the crowd of Native warriors. And the arrows began to fly as DeSoto and his men retreated from the village while Tuscaloosa escaped. After regrouping and revising their strategy, DeSoto and his men gained entry into the village, killed Tuscaloosa's giant son, set fire to the place, and massacred the city's inhabitants. That's a way to gain friends and influence people. Tuscaloosa was soon captured by the conquistadors and hung in full view of the town's smoldering inferno. In fact, the city of Tuscaloosa, Alabama, is named after the giant chief. And as DeSoto and his men marched deeper west, they were finding fewer giant chiefs and more massive, mysterious mounds 
Some of these mounds contain the remnants of that lost race of giants that once ruled the, the Americas. Now, Anglo-American settlers who came to Florida in the mid-1800s are well-versed in the local urban legend, claiming that an ancient race of giants once inhabited that sun-soaked state. And some of these early settlers even claimed to have seen thousands of giant skulls floating on the surface of Lake Okeechobee. When the drought hit in 2007, Lake Okeechobee's water level receded so low it revealed a cemetery full of skeletons that were at least seven feet tall. Some of their massive skulls even showed signs of intentional deformation, like the famous elongated skulls of Paracas, Peru, mentioned uh, in an earlier show. Strange coincidence that the giant chiefs of the Calusa Indians in South Florida were known as uh, Paracas Tay, which means people of Paracas. This is an area in Peru that's home to a vast desert and harsh arid conditions. Also home to numerous graves of elongated skulls and the infamous Nazca lions, which can only be seen from the sky. Now, South Florida is certainly a long hike from the highlands of Peru, so there have been legends that they flew there. Now, I've got a 1925 news article from Florida that might um, enlighten. It says, a huge skeleton found in Florida. Discovery of a skull, one-fourth larger than that of the normal modern, uh, together with bones indicating a probable height of not less than seven feet leads to speculation over theories of giant race once believed to have inhabited Florida. Portions of the skeletons were uh, found by workmen grading a road near Charlotte and Lee County lines. The bones are believed to have been those of a male. Specimens are to be shipped to the Smithsonian Institution where they usually wind up in the basement hidden off in a corner. Given the measurement, it's safe to say the skeleton is about seven and a half to eight feet tall. And the phrase, shipped to the Smithsonian Institution, means it'll never see the light of day again. More eight feet tall uh, giants were discovered by fishermen in Miami, and as reported in the June 9, 1936 issue of the New York Times. According to that particular article, a tale of human skeletons eight feet long embedded in the sand of an uninhabited little island off the southern tip of Florida, brought uh, here today by three fishermen, exhibited a piece of one skull containing six teeth. E.M. Miller, zoologist at the University of Miami, said the mandible was that of a man and was probably about 700 years old. He said it's entirely probable this find might be important, but I can't tell anything about it unless I had the measurements or additional information. They did say the skulls were unusually thick, the jaw protruded, and the eye sockets were high in the head. The first state geologist of Florida... Yates Sellards believe the area's original inhabitants were a race of giants that dwelled in the southeast for more than 125,000 years ago. He oversaw an excavation in Vero Beach that unearthed giant skeletons more than 12 feet in height. I've got an article from 1917 that human beings inhabited the North American continent more than, more than has been conclusively proven through a recent discovery in this state by E.H. Sellard, state geologist, and Professor Oliver Hay, who made a study of the fossil. Though their opinions are not fully concurred in by other scientists, they're positive that uh, their researches have been thorough and there's no room for a mistake. Now, the discovery was made several months ago, and though nothing of a definitive nature has been given out until recently, it's now officially stated that human bones are intermingled with those of a mastodon, saber-toothed tiger, and many other extinct animals that formerly ranged this hemisphere have been found. The deposit was found near Vero, that the human beings were of enormous size as evidenced by the bones, and it's thought that some were 10 to 12 feet in height. Some excellent specimens of the skeleton of gigantic men have been found, some of them locked in the that the embrace of great animals with strange weapons of bone clutched in skeleton hands a foot long. Sellers and Hay were soon in the academic crosshairs as their discoveries threatened the evolutionary modeled timeline. Unsurprisingly, they were forced out of their positions and relocated far away from Florida. Their discovery of giant human remains in the uh, Pleistocene period in North America flies in the face of established history that... Uh, Claims that giants never existed in the first place, let alone non-primate-like humans living alongside extinct ancient animals. Proof of this was discovered in the Vero Beach excavation site more than 90 years later by an amateur fossil hunter who discovered a carved mastodon bone. 
After three years of studying the fossil sites, it's claimed it to be the oldest, most spectacular, and rare work of art in the Americas. However, there was no mention of the ancient giant skeletons discovered in the uh, same earth strata, which were conveniently lost uh, shortly after arriving at the Smithsonian Institution in 1945. If it doesn't agree with the, what the Smithsonian believes, it's going to disappear. I assure you it will. And this wasn't the first time carved mastodon bones have caused a sensation. In the 1960s, amateur archaeologist Juan Camacho uh, discovered an engraved mastodon bone near uh, Basaquillo Reservoir in the Mexico City area. A team from Harvard showed up and began excavating the site, eventually finding some of the oldest spearheads in the world and uh, a large number of carved bones. The team put forth peer-reviewed articles postulating the age of the artifacts at more than 40,000 years, which was three times older than the official 12,000-year-old date for the first Americans. An exciting discovery for everybody involved. But when the United States Geological Survey geologists examined the artifacts in the site, they had a much more mind-blowing age. They dated the site and the artifacts at more than 250,000 years old. This would radically alter everything we've been taught since, according to mainstream academia, humans weren't around that long in general, and never mind killing mastodons and carving art on their bones. Establishment deemed that dating was impossible, despite the, the science proving otherwise, and promptly dismissed and ignored the matter altogether. The discovery site in question soon became off-limits and has been that way ever since, preventing any further excavations or investigations into this fascinating part of our ancient history. So if they suppress that part of history, why stop there? More giant skeletons were discovered on a tiny island off the shores of Tampa Bay in a zone once traveled by ravishing conquistadors. I've got an extract from 1927 from the Lawrence Journal World. It said, uh, giant Indians who roamed Florida swamps 500 years or more Living on shell food, which they cracked with their teeth, is a picture unfolded by archaeologists who've delved into a burial ground on a Gulf Island near here. Skeletons were discovered on a small section of land where a lone fisherman has lived for years. Scientists estimated the bones are at least 500 years old and the remains of a tribe known as Caribs, natives of the West Indies. They believed to have inhabited the state and the ancient islands before the Spaniards arrived in Florida. These skulls, larger than those of current history, battered and crushed, uh, indicated tribal battle. The jaw and teeth are unusually large, likewise are the body bones, indicating the Indians of past age were veritable giants in comparison with those today. And mounds similar to the ones in which the bones were unearthed are common in this state. Bones have been sent to the Smithsonian Institution for further examination where they vanished. Well, in 1911, Florida Canal builders discovered an unknown race of seven-foot giants when they attempted to destroy a mound that was in their way. It was a cool winter's eve when workers in Boynton Beach demolished a 15-foot-high mound that was covered in greenish plant shrubs and mahogany vines. And there was an uh, article written about it, dated Boynton Beach, December 6th, 1911. It says, we were much surprised and excitement when the workmen began removing the soil of the mound to find it was an ancient burial place of some unknown people, the history of which hadn't been learned. About one half the mound had been removed in the grading of the roadway, and in that were uh, skeletons of about 50 people, all placed with care and precision with the heads toward the apex of the mound. Bodies were placed in layers with an amount of sand between, and ocean sand had been carried in to cover them. Amber beads, broken crockery, and Scissors rusted apart were among the artifacts found buried there. One skeleton was found intact, measured seven feet from crown to toe. The bodies had been buried for such a length of time that many of the bones crumbled when exposed to the air and moved about. The Tokobaga Indians that inhabited the Tampa region were, about, uh, were also referred to as giants by the European settlers of Florida. 1932, another eight-foot giant was discovered off Cape Sable near Homestead and was given to the University of Miami, where it promptly disappeared. Undisturbed, uh, 2,500-year-old graveyard of giant bones was discovered by divers at the bottom of Silver Springs near Ocala, Florida, while mounds in St. Petersburg unearthed an ancient race of giants more than nine feet tall. 
Safe to say, if the conquistadors attempted to excavate these mounds, their minds would have been blown to smithereens. The neighboring state of Georgia has also had its fair share of anomalous uh, giant history as well. But it's the nation of Georgia, once part of the Soviet Union, that's sending the shock waves to the establishment to recent bones discoveries that uh, threaten to overturn the theory of evolution once and for all. Archaeologists have unearthed ancient skeletons dating back 1.8 million years. And these incredibly well-preserved Georgian bones are the earliest humans ever found outside of Africa. Coincidentally, bones of a giant man were discovered in a cave in the nearby Georgian city of Borjomi. And the Russian news reports about the discovery estimated the man to be about 9 to 10 feet tall. And the skull was more than three times the size of a normal human skull. Unsurprisingly... These anomalous giant bones have also gone missing. Recent DNA and archaeological tests have also proven that a giant uh, cataclysm known as the Younger Dryas event was caused by a comet strike that happened at uh, the end of the last ice age more than 12,000 years ago. Scientists studying the DNA of ancient Europeans found evidence of an unexplained population shift when local hunter-gatherers were nearly displaced by an unknown group from another area. Researchers from the Max Planck Institute for the Science of Human History in Germany made the intriguing discovery. After studying the 40,000-year-old mitochondrial uh, genomes of 35 European hunter-gatherers, the, Institute, you know, the Institute's Johannes Krauss reported, uh, we uncovered a completely unknown chapter of human history, a major population turnover at the end of the last ice age. Adam Powell, another Max Planck Institute scientist, said uh, our model suggests that during the period of climate upheaval, the descendants of the hunter-gatherers who survived through the last uh, glacial maximum uh, largely replaced by a population from another source. Could this source be the mysterious red-headed giants that once flourished during the Bronze Age? Five of their giant Bronze Age axes, twice the size of those normally discovered, were found in a field in Jutland, Denmark in 2015. Discovery by Danish farmers adds to the total number of Bronze Age axes discovered in Northern Europe to 10, although the previous five are only about half the size of the giant Danish axes. And in 16th century America, the conquistador Pedro de Salazar was near the coast of Georgia looking to enslave some native Indians when he discovered a tribe of peaceful giant Indians. They resided on one of the various islands that littered the coastline between Georgia and Cape Fear, North Carolina. Salazar and his men wined and dined with the natives in a place called Island of Giants by Spanish historians. After a few days of rest and reconnaissance, Salazar decided it was time to pack up and take the giant Indians back with them. The giants resisted but were rounded up regardless and stowed away for their voyage back to Hispaniola. One half the giant Indians died on the quest uh, back to the islands and the remaining giant Indians died shortly after being forced into slavery in uh, Puerto Plata. These giant Indians of Georgia were taller than the local Arawak uh, Lucayans, who were already considered huge to the tiny conquistadors. Later discovered that these giant Georgian Indians had established trade routes and made many voyages to the Caribbean, specifically the Bahamas. One of the conquistadors returned to find Salazar's island of giants. They didn't find any more tribes and abandoned coastal searches of Georgia for inland treks. An important giant discovery was made in Cartersville, Georgia, in 1886, when a team from the Sony was excavating the Tombland Mounds. Inside one of the mounds, they found a vault inscribed with strange, undecipherable hieroglyphics that housed the skeletal remains of a seven-foot-tall giant. And the article that's attached to the, those notes said several years ago, an Indian mound was opened near Cartersville, Georgia, by a committee of scientists from the Smithsonian. After removing the dirt for some distance, a layer of large flagstones was found, which had evidently been dressed by hand, showing that the men who quarried the rock understood the business. These stones were removed, and in a vault beneath them was found the skeleton of a giant measuring seven foot two inches tall. His hair was coarse and jet black and hung to the waist. The brow was ornamented with a copper crown. The skeleton was remarkably well preserved and was taken with the, from the vault intact. And nearby were found the bodies of several children of various sizes. The remains of the, the children were covered with beads made of bone of some kind. Upon removing these, the bodies were found to be enclosed in a network of straw or reeds, and underneath these was a covering of the skin of uh, some animal. 
fact, the bodies have been prepared somewhat uh, after the manner of mummies, and will doubtless uh, throw new light on the history of the people who made these mounds. One of the stones was covered with, that covered the vault were scarred inscriptions, and if deciphered, to probably lift the veil that uh, has enshrouded the history of the race of giants that undoubtedly at one time inhabited the continent. All the evidence uh, from this important discovery was shipped back to the Smithsonian and promptly disappeared. Tumbling mounds are known today as the Ottawa Mounds are associated with the local Etowah Indians who, uh, before their extinction, claimed that they had nothing to do with the building of the mounds. It's pretty clear we can associate the mounds with that race of giants that once inhabited America. Mound excavations in the 1880s in the, at the Etowah complex produced a stunning giant more than 14 feet tall, which has also gone missing. Surprise, surprise, surprise. This discovery was reported in the New York Times in 1886. Articles dated uh, April 4th, 1886, Cartersville, Georgia. The waters receded from the Tumlin Mound field has left uncovered acres of skulls and bones, and some of these are gigantic. The whole frame is in proportion to those two thigh bones that were found. The owner must have stood 14 feet tall. Many curious ornaments of shell and brass and stone have also been found. Some of the bodies were buried in small vaults built of stone, and the hole makes of a mine and a, uh, of archaeological wealth. Representative of the Smithsonian Institutions here investigating uh, the curious relics. Usually when the Smithsonian's investigating something that's giant-related, the artifacts wind up missing. The mounds of Georgia unearthed more giant Indian skeletons along with various artifacts and shell art associated with the local Georgian tribes like the Cherokees. In fact, when questioned about the mounds, the Cherokee professed no information whatsoever about the race that built them. One of the most ancient archaeological sites in North America is a mound complex built on the Mississippi River Bayou at Poverty Point, Louisiana. The complex has been dated back to 1500 B.C. and it hosts uh, six enormous mounds that were aligned to predict the vernal autumnal equinoxes. Now, although a visit to these mounds today won't... Uh, mention anything in relation to giants, 19th century news articles tell a completely different story. More than 700 mounds once dotted the landscape of Louisiana, and most of them unearthed ancient giant bones like those reportedly discovered in Winsboro, Louisiana in 1882. According to the attached article, skeletons of a race of giants who averaged 12 feet in height were found today by workmen engaged in the drainage project at uh, Crowville near here. There were several score, at least, uh, of the skeletons, and they lined various positions. It's difficult. It's believed they were killed in a prehistoric fight and that the bodies lay where they fell until covered with uh, fluvial deposits due to the flooding of the Mississippi River. No weapons of any sort were found. It's believed the Titans must have uh, struggled with uh, wooden clubs. The skulls are in a perfect state of preservation, and one of the jawbones uh, is large enough to fit around a child's body. Southeast state of Tennessee is also host to mysterious mounds and ancient giants. 1874, a mound south of um, Elvis's Memphis stomping grounds found a giant skeleton buried with uh, colorfully painted terracotta vases. And although some giant discoveries in Tennessee turned out to be mastodon bones of other ancient animals such as sloths, a good portion of the discoveries were those of an unknown lost race of giants that has been mostly forgotten. Besides, mastodons never buried themselves with human artifacts such as masks and pots and wampum bead arts. Tennessee's old stone fort in Manchester is another mysterious ancient monument, uh, once again falsely attributed to the local natives. The old stone fort looks more like an old stone fort that would have been constructed by traveling Welshmen or Phoenicians, where it might have been old enough to be associated with the giants. You know, the, the sad thing is certain people who have staked their claim uh, on certain theories will fight to their last breath to protect their theories, and that winds up causing quite a lot of trouble for everybody involved, especially those who want the truth to come out. All right. March 30th, 1872, the issue of the Hartford Weekly Times had an interesting article. The headline was Race of Giants Found an Underground Tomb Near the Old Stone Fort in Tennessee. According to the story, near this city is a cave commonly known as Bone Cave. 
from which have been brought at various times by boys and other people who have tried to explore the hidden recesses, human bones of unusual size. The popular legends of the people are to the effect that it was somehow connected with a, the people or race which created the old stone fort which stands a short distance to the west of the town. A few days since, some boys discovered an almost entire skeleton of mammoth size Bones of the forearm are nearly 20 inches long. While the bones of the lower left part of the leg was longer than an ordinary man's limb, foot and all, the jawbone of this giant would slip over the face of an ordinary man. Passage of the cave uh, looks as if it had been cut from the solid rock by the hand of man and gives rise to the hypothesis that at some time, far back in the Dark Ages, this cave was used by a race of men, giants if you like, that built the stone fort and the mounds and this underground passage led to, from the fort to the cave a mile distant. Giant skeletons also found on a mound in a nearby town of Ripley, Tennessee. That was reported in the Logansport Reporter, July 3, 1903. Headline of that story said Indian Mound near Tennessee town yields remains of gigantic men. Stated April 23, 1903. Skeletons of three gigantic men buried by a forgotten race have been unearthed by a fisherman digging in an old Indian mound near here. Travel finery in which they were interred was in, recovered intact. One of the skeletons bore ivory beads and a, a long ivory ornament. The other was this, uh, decorated with copper beads and designs of bone and mica. Two were found near the surface. Further down, the largest of the skeletons was discovered in a sitting position on a carpet of ashes. Pottery, one piece containing the bones of an infant, was found nearby. It's in a fine state of preservation. Indian mounds abound in this section, but hitherto none had yielded skeletons the size of those found by the fishermen. He offered them to the Tennessee Historical Society at Nashville. About an hour and a half away, near the town of Franklin, Tennessee, more giant bones were unearthed by a resident farm owner searching for water springs on his property. This story comes from the Tennessee Western Weekly, November 11, 1845. Story said there have been recently dug up in Williamson County, Tennessee, seven miles from Franklin, the bones of a giant, and no mistake. We conversed with an intelligent, enterprising gentleman of our city who's been seen, examined, and purchased an interest in the skeleton. And from him, we derived the following facts. Mr. Shoemate was boring for water near his residence upon a hill of considerable extent and eminence, and Situated on a rocky mountainous section uh, country where the bones were discovered about 60 feet beneath the surface. They were immediately exhumed and were found embedded in a strata of the hardest kind of clay that had apparently filled an extensive cavern or opening in the rock. No doubt rests in the minds of any who have seen uh, or examined them. Uh, these bones belong to the genus Homo. All the large and characteristic bones are entire in the sc uh, skull, arms, and thigh bones, and even Pans, uh, shoulder sockets, and collarbones remove all skepticism as to their humanity. The whole skeleton, we're informed, is about 18 feet high and must have stood a full 19 feet in his stockings if he wore any. Now, these bones are later assembled to create a traveling exhibit, which is first showcased in downtown Nashville Movie Theater and then moved to a museum in New Orleans for public display. Newspapers across the country are hailing the discovery as proof of an ancient giant race possibly from Atlantis. The excitement soon turned to ridicule, though, when a scientist from Louisiana Medical College debunked the Williamson County giant as nothing more than mastodon bones. Despite this debunking, additional giant bones and Indian giants were waiting to be discovered in the southwest as more conquistadors like Coronado made the trek in search of everlasting glory in the fabled lost cities of gold. You know, I have seen otherwise dependable scientists debunk things that called into question their previous uh, decisions. So, nine times out of ten, these are ivory tower scientists who, from the prominence of their uh, lofty places, make their pronouncements. Something can't be what it's supposed to be because it doesn't agree with their theories. Well, Coronado, 
had an interesting uh, journey full of conquest and wonder and adventure and danger and heartbreak. It was a journey inspired by tales of lost cities of gold, once ruled by a race of giants and times immemorial, and tales that inspired more than 300 conquistadors, 1,100 Indian allies, and with more than 1,000 animals to embark on a journey across hot and arid deserts and rugged mountains. The tales inspired the man who led them, a 30-year-old Spanish playboy by the name of Francisco Vasquez de Coronado. Came from a noble family, born in Salamanca, Spain in 1510, and attended the famous university there before ditching his studies to join his conquistador friends in Mexico. And it was while in Mexico, Coronado uh, married a wealthy woman who was able to secure him a high-ranking position in the Spanish army. In fact, in 1538, he was named governor of New Galicia, the Spanish, uh, Spanish province in Mexico, and soon began planning a Or I guess you could say hatching a plan to get rich and famous. First, he financed a mini expedition to El Dorado by sending the, the knowledgeable monk Marcos uh, Deniza on a northern journey of exploration. Now, Marcos had been with Pizarro doing his conquest of the Incas in Peru, where he learned about the fabled gold wall seven cities of Chibola, more commonly known as El Dorado. After finding gold in Peru but failing to locate El Dorado, Denisa learned that the legendary source of Incan gold was in a land much further north of South America. Figuring it was somewhere in Mexico, the monk followed the trail to the Spanish-ruled Mexican province of New Galicia, where he acquired the uh, final bits of information regarding the location of the city. After dazzling Coronado with his tail, he set out to find the city with some Indian guides and the black freeman. Estevanico, one of the survivors of the inflated Navarre's expedition. Estevanico had traveled and lived with the Indians of the north for many years, spoke a variety of languages, and claimed to know exactly where the legendary lost city was located. So, with Carnoto's blessing, the Denise and his team of treasure hunters began their quest for El Dorado, heading north into modern-day Arizona. A landscape both strange and picturesque with fertile valleys and abundant streams and snow-capped mountains hanging above oddly cut narrow canyons with 100-foot-high uh, rock walls. Further they went, the closer they were to Chibola, a rich mountain kingdom with some giant great cities of gold. Estevanico, uh, already the first African to enter Texas, was uh, now the first in Arizona as well. However, he disappeared shortly before, uh, after entering the Superstition Mountains, and the Nazis never set eyes on him again. He assumed he'd been killed by the, the Zunis. The Niza was then warned by his scouts about the dangerous Indians who were killing off anybody who got close to Cebola, and that Estevanico had uh, made it there only to be imprisoned and murdered. The Niza made it just close enough to get a glimpse of what he thought were the legendary lost walls of the legendary lost city before returning back to Mexico to informed Coronado about his disappointing northern mission. Well, that glimpse was all Coronado needed to convince him to organize an expedition and seize the glory himself. During the spring of 1540, a large company of men, including Denaza, joined their leader Francisco de Coronado on a journey north in search of the legendary El Dorado. They marched right into northern Arizona and passed through the Superstition Mountains on their way to Chibola. The problem was they were looking for a city of gold on the outside of the mountains instead of within them. While Carnot's expedition was underway, fellow conquistador Hernando de Aracon uh, followed with two ships full of goods along the Gulf of California. But he ended up so far ahead of him that he eventually got tired of waiting and decided to keep sailing north. He entered the lower Colorado River upon which Aracon and his men came upon the first settlement of the giant Cocopa warriors. Alicorn wisely made peace with these giant Indians as his ships continued uh, upstream. They were greeted by thousands more. At the same time, Don Rodrigo Maldonado returned from the coast where he had been searching for Alicorn ships with an Indian satal that impressed Coronado and his fellow Spaniards immediately. Pedro de Castaneda, who accompanied Coronado and later wrote the most accurate first-hand account of that expedition, wrote that uh, Don Rodrigo Maldonado, who was captain of those who went in search of the ships, didn't find them, but brought back with him an Indian so large and tall, the best men in the army reached only to his chest. He said that other Indians were even taller on the coast. 
According to the story, is this giant Indian who's one of the, this area, great giant tribe that occupied the island of Tiburon and the adjacent to Sonora coast on the Gulf of California. In the meantime, Coronado was marching into New Mexico with Captain Melchor um, Diaz, who was trying to establish contact with Alacon when he came across more tribes of giant Indians. According to uh, Castaneda, they came to a province of exceedingly tall and strong men like giants. They were naked and lived in large straw cabins built underground like smokehouses with only the straw roof above ground. They entered these at one end and come out at the other. More than a hundred people, old and young, sleep in one cabin. And when they carry anything, they can take a load of more than uh, three or four hundred weight on their heads. Once when our men wished to fetch a log for the fire and six men weren't able to carry it, one of these Indians is reported to have come and picked it up and put it on his head alone and carried it very easily. By the time Coronado got the Chibola, he was uh, attacked by a barrage of arrows and forced to retreat with arrowheads stuck in his armor. Eventually, Coronado and his men stormed the walls of the village and laid waste to their Indian rivals in the process. After a grueling march, Coronado and his battered warriors finally entered Chibola and soon feasted on much-needed meals of corn and beans and turkey. However, while their bellies were full, their coffers remained empty. After a lengthy search of the village, uh, not a speck of gold or silver was found, and certainly not the fabled El Dorado. Coronado sent expeditions out in different directions while he marched all the way into modern Kansas, but uh, each brigade came back empty-handed. By the time he returned to Mexico, more than 80% of his platoon had abandoned him. He returned at less than 100 men, all starving, skinny, and ragged, with no gold to show and no lost city to brag about. His expedition was a disaster, and Coronado was branded a failure and removed from his high-ranking position within the Spanish government. Soon after this, he died penniless and was pretty much forgotten about until about 40 years later when Castaneda's book detailing Coronado's expedition was published. In time, Coronado's quest for El Dorado became one of America's great early adventure stories, and the Spanish explorers were celebrated for their early achievements in chronicling the strange new history of the Americas. As for the giant Indians they encountered, they, like the rest of their kin, would soon be eradicated and left in a controversial footnote in the history books. The conquistador quest through Arizona put them in lands that were mystical and dangerous and ancient as wild west pioneers found uh, out a few hundred years later when they began discovering giants buried deep in the desert. Near an area where Colonado and his men marched, railroad workers near Sycamore Creek, Arizona, discovered a prehistoric graveyard of giants, as reported by the New Sentinel on uh, April 19, 1926. According to that article, the prehistoric graveyard on Sycamore Creek, where the grade of the Verde Railroad passes through, uh, had been undiscovered by had been uncovered by a crew of laborers under the direction of conductor C. W. Corbett in performing certain excavations to improve the uh, roadway. There has been uh, revealed a very interesting situation that prevailed at some time or other in the physical makeup of a race so reflected in the massive remains that have been recovered and which are indisputable of a giant type of humanity that's bewildering to those of this generation. The skull of a human is in the possession of Mr. Corbin, together with a portion of the frame that would indicate uh, one who in life must have attained a height of at least eight feet. Bones of the legs, likewise, are of greater length and heavier than any today. In 1911, the weekly journal Miner reported on a giant discovery a few ranchers made when attempting to dig a well in Prescott, Arizona. The ranch owner, Peter Marks, uh, contact, uh, contacted a local attorney and started to make full-scale uh, preparations for a massive excavation for giving the local press a little bit of history about the discovery. He said the bones of this monstrous human may have been represented a race of men or a single individual. At any rate, the skeleton of the man in my possession is sufficiently complete so that the dimensions, which are astounding, may be accurately ascertained. And as far as the present generation is to be considered from what I can learn, there's no comparison to be found. In the first place, the skulls of such a normal size, if the average man of this day placed it on his head, he'd still find room to move it back and forward and up and down with ease without uh, you know, one more time discovering his uh, natural position. 
For measurements taken of this skull, a number 10 hat would be required to fit it. The teeth, several of which are still embedded in the jawbone, substantiate the immense size of the head. As to the bones, there is no disputing the fact the owner was uh, systematically formed of immense size and Herculean strength. The thigh and lower limbs indicate at least twice the size of uh, the average man of today. Peter Marks also discovered mounds and stone ruins on his ranch near Walnut Creek. It was soon visited by an attaché of the Smithsonian Institution, took pictures of the giant, and even offered to buy the mysterious skeleton, but Marks refused to sell. A few months later, he mysteriously died in a car accident, and no further information emerged as to what happened to the giant skeleton. His land was sold to an unnamed private buyer who quickly barred the public from getting anywhere close to the property. In Arizona, near the Conquistador Traverse Hills of the Superstition Mountains, a giant skeleton was discovered along the foot of the Gila River. According to the April 19, 1915 edition of the El Paso Herald, a skeleton of a giant fully eight feet tall has been found near Silver City, according to H.E. Davis. Thigh bones of this ancient inhabitant of the southwest measured two inches more than the ordinary man and must have been a giant of great strength. The jaw bone is large enough to fit over the jaw of an ordinary man. A peculiarity of the forehead is that it recedes from the eyes like that of an ape. Similarity is still further found in the sharp bones under the eyes. Skeleton was found encased in baked mud, indicating encasing the corpse in mud and baking it was the mode of embalming. And near the skeleton was found a stone weighing 12 pounds, which, judging from its shape, must have been a club. The wooden handle had rotted away, but there are marks on the stone that indicate it had been bound to a wooden handle with thongs. It's rather peculiar that less than 30 miles from where this skeleton was found, located on the Gila River, the former houses of a tribe of small cliff dwellers, I can't talk. The existence of these two races so near together uh, form an interesting topic. Prehistoric petroglyph image of a giant can be seen on the stone walls of the Rock Art uh, Canyon Ranch in Winslow, Arizona. This means that uh, the giants were standing on a corner leg before um, Glenn Fry and the Eagles. The neighboring New Mexico, a graveyard of giants, was unearthed in the winter of 1902. And the finding of this Ancient giant burial ground caused a sensation in the press, as the New York Times reported. Well, at this particular point in time, we've only have a few minutes left, so we're going to wrap it up for today. But when we start out tomorrow, we're going to be talking about uh, what the New York Times had to say about the giants discovered in New Mexico. Until then, this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying have a truly great evening.